My name is Charlie May, and I beat the Often Path by indulging in some things and avoiding a lot of others, but essentially creating my own way through a bit of a musical landscape. Um, I'm very, very blessed to be able to do something that I love and to still be somehow winging it um, all these years later, um, despite um, all sorts of ups and downs. So uh, it's kind of what I do. I guess I, I want, I'm still trying to be a musician. That's probably what I do. Ladies and gentlemen, today's episode of Beat the Often Path is very special to me because I can honestly say that today's guest changed the trajectory of my life forever. When I was just 11 years old, I heard the song Expander by Sasha for the first time. That EP opened me up to the world of electronic dance music, which would change my career and my life for the next 16 years and beyond. From that moment forward, nobody ever saw me without wearing a pair of headphones and without my trusty little Sony Walkman listening to all of these albums, Global Underground, Aerodron Dagger, all of this deep house music from around the world. It changed my life. I didn't know it at the time, but the creator of this and many other world-changing electronic records was Charlie May, ghost producer extraordinaire. Over the years, he's made pivotal tracks with Sasha, Spooky, Junkie XL, and a who's who of top underground artists for the last several decades. Now, you might not know his name, but that's exactly the point. You should. His works have arguably changed dance music forever, taking us from a time when DJs were uncelebrated and underpaid weirdos in the corner of a room to this massive celebrity industry that we see today. As an added bonus this week, all the music in this episode is an original creation of his. So without further ado, here is a personal legend of mine, Charlie May. Well, I have to say it's very rare and I'm so happy to have you on this show because few people, and I, I can think this is statistically true, few people in the world have impacted me personally, I think as much as you and your work has. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you because I can explain to you my journey and how we ended up here a little bit. The year was 1999 and a game was released called Wipeout 3, a game that you might be familiar with. I didn't know much about the electronic music scene. I didn't know anything. Uh, I was playing on a friend's PlayStation 1. And this game looked like the future. And you can see that that aesthetic has still stuck with me. This I didn't put up this background just for you. That's a vibe that I've always sort of lived in, this semi-dystopian, futuristic world. Some things are going to be bad. Other things are going to be nice. We're going to have flying cars, but we're not going to have trees anymore. That's sort of the feeling that I had. And I noticed that every time I played that game, one song would come on and it just sounded like the future to me. I just knew in an instant, this is the future. That's what the future sounds like. I looked on the back, I tracked down the CD, and of course it's Expander, one of the most iconic tracks of all time from Sasha. That song, it became my anthem, and of course I bought it and then I discovered all of the records of, of Sasha, and I discovered all of this back catalog of the 1996 years of stuff that I didn't know about previously. And of course, being a naive and ignorant child, I just assumed that if there was the name Sasha on a record, that one person named Sasha made that record. And then I looked on the back, and first of all, I learned that Sasha wasn't his real name. It said, written by A. Co. and C. May. And I thought, oh, what's the deal with that? Who is C. May? And then since then, I've come to realize that a majority of my, uh, my favorite songs and most impactful life-changing songs 
have been written or touched or produced in some form or another by you. So I just felt like, I don't know if you get the recognition that you deserve in some sense for all of the truly groundbreaking work that you've done, but you have changed my life. So I just want to start this discussion by saying thank you. Well, no pressure. <laughs> You're welcome. No pressure. Um, <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, I, I definitely don't seek any sort of recognition or anything like that. Um, it's really, really humbling and it's really um, welcome. Uh, to be able to, and I'm going to use that horrible word, connect. That's the only time I'm going to use it tonight. Okay. Okay. But when you actually connect with somebody over, um, I guess, a mutually shared um, piece of music, because it means something to me as much as it means something to you or whoever, um, then it's really important. And I think that's one of the roles. It's, it's fulfilled a role, you know, music or making records. Fulfill several roles, and, and initially it's the one that, I guess, the creative urge you get, the impulse you get to make it in the first place. Um, and then when that actually affects somebody else and in a positive way, had a good impact, it's fantastic. It's not why I do it, but it, and it's kind of, I feel a little awkward when people talk about something I've made because I have to take myself out of the equation because really it's not down to me. It's down to loads of other factors. It's down to the fact that I collaborated with Sasha on that. Uh, and we have a really good um, rapport, uh, both as friends and and also as uh, producers. Um, and it's the time and the place and all the other things that are influencing you um, at that time. And you want to you want to hear something and you make the thing you want to hear. Um, so it's it's really, really a, a pleasure to be able to do that, and I'm so blessed. I can't can't ever really approach this whole gig without a lot of gratitude because um, that's what I always wanted to do, and, and I'm just very lucky to be able to do it and enjoy it and have a fun doing it as well because... Yeah, hopefully that comes across in the music, even if it's something quite serious, like Expander, I guess. It's quite a, it's an uplifting record, but it's quite serious, a little bit of melancholy in there. But we have a lot of fun making records. I mean, they wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't be so proud of them if they weren't fun to make. Yeah. Well, at that time, I was just a kid in, in my world in the middle of America in Colorado. All people knew of techno was Moby and they knew that they hated techno because Eminem told them that they hated techno. So I'm sitting there with my Walkman and my headphones on and I'm in your world 24 seven. You couldn't find me not listening to these albums, right? And of course I, I eagerly awaited the day that Air Drawn Dagger came out and all of these albums, I remember listening to it over and over and over again and reading it and uh, that was just a world that profoundly changed my life and it led me to go and work in the music industry and I ended up getting a job at some point at Armada Music and going to Amsterdam where I had met my wife. So a lot of these things that happened in my life have been inspired uh, by this music and of course there are other artists. I'm not trying to put too much pressure. There are other <laughs> artists at the same time in that wave. But yeah. one of the things that I've learned and the reason that I wanted to bring you here and how I thought it fit with the concept of this show of people who maybe don't necessarily get celebrated. And, and I get from your social media presence and the stuff that you put out that you're not a person who seeks attention. That's obvious. Uh, you know, and many of the songs that you've written are either uncredited or barely credited. It will say like CM dub or the initials CM or Charlie May. There'll be some 
other form. So it's not real easy to connect all the work that you've done to you, the person, I think. You'd have to know Uncle and Spooky and James Lavelle and a lot of these other actors, uh, the other people in the scene, to even begin to connect the dots of where your work actually lives. And I've always been fascinated with the concept of the ghost producer, or, you know, especially in a world of Tiestos, who I'm not afraid to say has probably never hit a note on a synthesizer a day in his life and is just a hundred millionaire. Somebody out there is actually pushing the buttons, writing the chords, and doing that. And from what I gather from the snippets that I've read, that has sort of been your role. Do you think that that is something that is underappreciated, or are you content with? the way things have shaped out in that way. Yeah, um, it's what I've, I've sought that out. Um, I like the kind of recluse, studio recluse or studio rat that I call myself. You, know, you seek out dark corners. I'd always do that in clubs, you know, I'd always go to the dingiest, darkest corner, probably get up to no good, but I'd go to the clubs that were small and dark. I, it's, not um it's not a um i think it just for me it just takes too much energy to grab attention and and i haven't got the patience or the energy for it i'm not really um it's not that i don't respect people who can do that because that's a skill in itself i think um it just doesn't interest me and there's a lot of real pains in the ass that come along with it uh, when I've seen, even just hanging out with Sasha or other people that are really well known, um, it's quite difficult, I think, trying to balance that. Yeah, um, I mean, he, he has two lives, really. Uh, one in the studio as a producer and one as a DJ. And I think it's really tough sometimes. And it's not something I wish I wanted to have. But I've always felt the music had more power than a personality anyway. So... Why not just put all your effort into that? Um, and also, people, the, re the receiver of the music or art or whatever you want to call it, um, puts their own tint on it and their own mark. And it makes it, it's like when you hear a song and you don't know what the lyrics are, you invent your own lyrics. So you, you personalize it. Um, I, I'm not even really a fan of many vote singers so vocal music is it has to be really special because i don't like the the too much personality in it i, I prefer to have something more abstract just because i'm a bit of a space cadet and that's how i think and operate and uh yeah so i'm really content with how it is sure it's nice to get this sort of recognition is really meaningful because it's not i haven't shoved it in your face you know on my no one's no PR companies like hassling you for a, a slot, you know, or, or listen to my new record or whatever. Um, but I think the other big advantage of it is is that I can be more chameleon-like, and I don't get known for one thing, and I, or being a certain kind of person, or yeah, that's really important because I change my mind a lot, and and I get influenced by different things at different times. So. Um, like at the moment, I'm doing stuff with guitar amps and putting pedals and pianos through them, which isn't very techno, and it's not. But then I've got another project on the go where I'm just on the laptop. So I think I can get away with doing that sort of stuff. And 
So I don't, I don't have to explain it to anybody. I just do it, and and that's that's really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you have that very few people have is a sort of authenticity, and you have your own world that you create that I've witnessed over the decades now. You And you can describe it as a bit melancholy, and I agree. And some people, if I'm listening to this type of music, they might have said as I was growing up that it's a bit melancholy, or it's, it's not your typical happy-go-lucky reggae, three chords, offbeat kind of thing. But yet, to me, there's always been an... I wouldn't say that it's melancholy, even though it is. It's more uh, this bittersweet. It's it's beautiful to me, and it's beautiful in a way that has always felt real to me. Sometimes something that's too sweet or saccharine can feel artificial, I think. But there's a sort of reality that I feel. And also when we look at the idea of a, this dystopian future world, it describes a future that to me has always seemed accurate. Again, there will be some positive things, some really cool things about this future that we're coming into, and other things that are not so positive you know what will life look like and of course you know i'm thinking about movies like blade runner the fifth element and other uh, you know places where these types of works tend to live and it's just always felt very real and that's been cathartic and if i've ever felt you know very sad about something i can listen to the kind of worlds that you cr you've created over the years and then I feel better afterwards because I've zoned out. And most of the time that I've listened to your work, it's been on headphones, nice headphones. Most of the time, it's often with eyes closed. And it's been very interesting for me to see the way that you have also migrated because my own journey, I'm not really in the dance music world anymore. I left that industry to do some other things. I didn't really like the music industry, but I've also, as my taste migrated more from harder, harder club stuff, I still love the stuff that you've done throughout the years. But I, it was very interesting to look at your SoundCloud and notice that you've morphed into ambient as well, because I listen to a lot of ambient music now, and then I listen to this mix that you did that's all ambient, and it's, it's just brilliant, man. And so it's like, clearly there's some kind of, we have the same taste in something, and I don't know if it's because you shaped the taste that I have, or we just happen to have the same idea about what sounds good, but we, we, we clearly do. So how have you, you know, felt that progression, I guess? Uh, yeah, uh, it's interesting because... There is a progression. As much as I'd like to sort of hop from one lily pad to another, there's um, there is a progression. And I, like I said at the beginning, I'm still trying to do what I do. I don't think I'm an artist or a producer. I'm still trying to be one, and that that stops me from stagnating a little bit. I think um, I want it to be exciting. I, I'm as if not more excited when I get up in the morning now about something I'm going to do uh, on a track or in the studio as I was when I was 17, 18 and getting into it. That's that's just gold. You know, That's I'm so fortunate to have that um, fresh perspective. Um, and, and what you said about the, the being bittersweet, I, music I like, perhaps the music you like and where we, the common ground we share is, is it's got to have a bit of an ache to it because that's, Music's a metaphor for life, and life's not a bowl of cherries. We all know that it has ups and downs, and it has. But it has like I've always had this bit of an existential ache, or like I like to call it an unscratchable existential itch. You know, I just can't quite um, settle. I I can, but then there's something about it that's uh, familiar but strange at the same time. It's um, it is a dichotomy, really. There's, there are lots of paradoxes in, in life. 
And good music for me has it somehow expresses that. It has um it embodies those those life sort of facets really. They're they're just feelings and they're subtle ones and not not always noticeable unless like me, you spend a lot of time on your own listening to quiet things or in a quite of a, a meditative sort of state. I mean, I'm a very stand on the edge and observe sort of person. I, I, I'm not really uh, somebody who gets right in the thick of it, although I have my moments, but I like to see what's going on and feel it out. And I think um, the a bit of sweet thing is just parallels how, it, how life is up and down. Um, that's what I notice in music that I like. It's just got a bit of bit of an edge to it, and I'm always trying to pull myself back from being too sweet. I don't mind being too bitter, but being too sweet, no one needs that. <laughs> you know, I never used to really like music much, and growing up as a kid, I didn't. I hated the radio. I didn't listen very much until that pivotal point in my life, and then I was never found without a pair of headphones. And now I listen to this kind of music all day, every day since that age. Uh, but again, it's like some people love what you can do with a guitar and a bass drum and a, and a the piano and, a, and a, vo a vocalist, just a couple of basic instruments playing the same different things over and over again, or the same four chords repackaged in different ways. But immediately I, I thought, especially with headphones on, especially with good headphones on, I was transported to a sonic reality that was unlike anything that I'd ever heard in my entire life. I know what a guitar sounds like. I still know what pop radio sounds like, and I can appreciate it. But it's very different to be having a tiny little thing echoing out of time in one ear and another little thing morphing and bobbing around in the other ear and this undercurrent and sounds that you've never heard before. It really instilled in me a love of sounds that have no analog in the real world, things that may make you feel something, but you've never heard before. And even in an age where there's a lot of dance music producers now and they're just using presets, you know, the same silent preset, the same presets in Ableton over and over and over again, and we like that. I really admire the way that you've always committed to finding sounds and sonic landscapes that nobody else is doing, that never existed before. Uh, how did you get on that journey of building out worlds sonically and kind of finding a sense for things that nobody had ever really done before? Um, I think uh, there's a lot of copying that I, that I did when, because I had a similar experience with headphones. I was kind of part of the Walkman generation. Um, and I remember very clearly the first time I heard stereo uh, from a Sony Walkman. Uh, it was Duncan, actually, the other guy in Spooky, who, who had one, and, he's, and he said, you've got to listen to this. And he put, put these headphones on me. And he played uh, Blondie's Heart of Glass. And I was like, wow. And it blew me away. It was the first time I'd heard stereo and it's and the intimacy of it and like they were in they were there in front of me. Uh especially when you get to that middle eight bit where it just breaks down and there's that um like little drum machine bit. It was just unbelievable. I can really recall that moment. Um and it really affected me. And so I was also a headphone junkie from then on. Also because I, growing up, I was I had to keep quiet. There was, there was no place um, for loud music. I couldn't have a massive stereo in my bedroom or 
uh, anything like that. There was uh, a sort of music. In fact, pop music wasn't really kind of allowed. Um, so it became a very personal thing and a, and a, and a bit of a naughty thing. It was like, uh, I don't know, sneaking out at night. But I would sneak into music. Um, it became something, I'm trying to find the right word for it, like a little bit illegal. It's definitely subversive, and I've and I've kept to that sort of. It's actually a bit of a punk ethic um, all along, and those. So that detail that you get in headphones and and the sounds, each one of them has a little life and a story, and you find yourself following them as you're making the music and. That's why I love working with people like Barry Jameson um, and Sasha and Dave Gardner. Um, they're all into that kind of sonic detail within the music, which you can get and you get from great live playing. So if you put on a great jazz record or a John Coltrane record or Miles Davis or you get it from any of Eno's stuff or just a beautifully played piece of music, Neil Young, it's got that intrinsic detail in the expression. It's so well performed and all the mistakes work as well. And we, we've always sought to, to kind of replicate that in electronic music, to have all these details so you don't, you don't hear it, you don't get it all on the first listen. Absolutely. You can listen to it. I want to be able to make a record that you can play 20 years later and still hear something new in it or that still has some sort of nourishing effect because it, good music, it, it's tangible. It has, it has that sort of um, spiritual nourishment, um, which is kind of a lofty, I'm really talking above my pay grade here, but it's, it's a lofty ideal. Well, it's but true. I think it's true. That's what we want. That's what we all try and aim for when we make these records. And certainly with the Sasha stuff, we were, I think we were very fortunate to have, and he'll kill me for saying this, but we spent a lot of time on those records. um, And everyone used to take the piss out of him for (laughs) never delivering or never meeting a deadline. But the reason was, well, there were lots of reasons, but one of them was just, getting things, pushing everything to past where where we thought it was acceptable to a point where we were ex- we were kind of surprising ourselves and uh, we were trying starting to get excited by what we were by by the sort of um collective time we'd put into it, if that makes sense. We there was a a sum that was that was really starting to pay off after a long period of time, sort of mining the same seam. And we were starting to get results that we wouldn't have got in six months, but in three years we were doing the same thing. We'd really started to hone it down and get get sonically get some really interesting um, things happening and, and get those recorded. Because there's one thing making a lot of cool sounds and sound design, everybody can do that these days. And But to actually put it into a piece of music that's still carries has an emotional weight to it and carries some meaning it's quite a challenge it's not something that's easy to do on your own either which is always why i've liked collaborating um 
because you have to be able to turn around and go, hey, well, what do you think? And you can't do that on your own. It's, you just have to, oh, I offset the two, working on my own, working with other people. And I play one off against the other. So all the lessons I learn working with other people, I, I apply to when I'm working on my own. And when I'm working on my own, I make a lot more mess. And then I have to sort of get some structure out of that and some discipline. The discipline's the hard thing. Um, but that actually gets easier over time. Well, you mentioned a record that can last 20 years, and so few things can. Most of the time we listen to stuff from the 90s, early 2000s, most of it sounds incredibly dated. And there's always a kitsch element, and there might be modern DJs who remix something, and it's sort of kitschy. Yes, you all know Benny Benazir, Satisfaction, all these classic Euro hits from the 90s. But the stuff that you have done, in my opinion, does not sound dated in that same way at all. It still sounds like the future. And some of the thing, which is crazy, something you made 30 years ago still sounds like the future today, which just boggles my mind personally. But I remember coming across some of the melodies that you would come up with and just thinking like, that melody is just so different from what other people consider to be a melody. Stuff in Aerodron Dagger and also the work that you've done, uh, you know, with Junkie XL, another person who is great in collaboration, uh, like Requiem from that album that has this very weird, haunting kind of melody where it's just so sparse and then almost like a delay effect creates the rest of this riff. I remember listening to those kinds of things the first time being like, what kind of melody is this and why is this on a record? But yet it, it worked. And I, if I listen to that record today or Magnetic North or some of those other things that you create, they have this element that still moves me very much to this day. And you seem to have this taste. And, and I'm not saying like, I'm not just trying to harp on all the Sasha record because it's not, I've recognized since then that that element is present in all of the works that you've done for various other collaborations. And again, like the remix of Lana Del Rey's Ride uh, or the various little bits and pieces that we have on YouTube of your work, like a beatless mix of Magnetic North, which is just stunningly beautiful on one YouTube channel that I found. I can't even buy this record. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that you've done has this timeless quality. And I think because it's so non-standard, because it's so different, it is able to last longer, whereas a melody that might be ultra popular today would just will become extremely out of fashion in a couple of years. So how do you find, have you just always come up with different melodies? I guess I don't even know what I'm asking there, but your ear is clearly different, I would say, than others in a good way. Yeah, I guess it is to a certain extent. Um, it's kind of abstract territory here because um, I'm just trying to make something I like. I, th I think that's what a lot of... I'm not trying to make something that's popular or sells well. I'm trying to make something I like because I have to live with it. And and I guess um, one of my big fears it, and most uncomfortable sensations is realizing that I took a shortcut or I've compromised or I sold myself out a bit. It can be a tiny little decision years and years ago and I play the record now, I'm like, oh, man, if only I hadn't used that hi-hat. Well, I'm very self-critical, but I, but I think that's a, that can be a good thing. But I don't, I don't want to um, disappoint myself, and I don't want to disappoint other people, because I, 
I think there's a real, a real um, honor to do to do this sort of thing to create a, uh, a story in a format that that a lot of people hear and it affects it has an effect on them. I don't want to pollute the world any more than it already is, and it's bad enough. You know, a lot of a lot of what we do, you know, does it serve a function? Yeah, it does, but does it also have an, an aesthetic value? Um, I think so. I, I think uh, for me, it's um, it's a very therapeutic process. I'm very at peace when it's going well, or when I'm working with people that I like working with. Man, I mean, the the good times that we've had making those a lot of those records, whether they were spooky records or involvers or sasha stuff they was they were real labors of love and i'm very grateful for that and i think that comes out in the amount of attention the detail that goes into them um sort of wandering off piece here a bit but the uh the music that i like it's interesting because recently I've, I've just overhauled my my vinyl collection which is a proper like no mates bachelor thing to do it's like, oh, I know, it's raining i'll take apart my vinyl and put it back together again uh, so i played a lot of old stuff like i had a stack of old uh, mailers with still with white labels in them from probably like 1990s and stuff i never opened my old address on the front and stuff um uh, so i went through all these old tunes and a lot of them weren't didn't have anything written on them i had to play them and it's really interesting like you say there's a lot of like bubble gum in there, which is just sort of stuff that was chewed on at the time and served a purpose, and then it sounds incredibly out of date. Um, and then there's other things, like I found a white label of uh, Aphex Twin didgeridoo. I think it's oh, a bootleg, yeah. not an original. And you whack, you whack that thing on, and it's like, especially when you didn't know what was coming, I was just going through white labels. No preconceived idea. And you're just hit with this beautiful sound, incredibly intricate, organic noise, uh, really inspiring. Um, and it sounds bang up today. He's a genius. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's an amazing musician um, who came along at, at the right time as well. There's a lot of serendipity there. Um, but... Yeah, I think uh, it's when you've got people like that, and I grew up listening to a lot of classical music. Uh, like my mum would leave the radio on outside in the hall outside my room with classical music on it at night, probably just so we would fall asleep. Um, and that really influenced me. So that's why I've always probably lean towards those sort of melodies um, say on that sort of structure and it's, and storytelling because it's all storytelling really and I think that that really separates good music from funk just disposable or purely functional music not that there's anything wrong with that but yeah. when you get in your head and you get headphones on and and you really get absorbed in, in a piece of music or it really moves you, it's telling a story, and, and that's the human condition. We're, we, we exist in a, in a time-based medium, if you like. So 
things happen, they develop, and then they dissipate, and then other things come, and and that that's reflected in good music. So it is storytelling, and I'm a I love good stories. I love reading, and I, I'm very fascinated by what people do and what what a person is and how they all kind of fit together or don't fit together. Um, and the, there's a beauty in it, and there's a lot of humor in it as well. But there's this we have this emotional kind of soundtrack going along with it all. Um, and occasionally you you find a record that really parallels your own your own experience and it and it stops you in your tracks. Like going through all this old vinyl has been been amazing. Like records like some of the early police stuff or Tears for Fears, The Hurting. I mean phenomenal records. Um stuff like um oh my bloody Valentine and and there were some great records that came out in the eighties and nineties and I really and I bought a lot of vinyl back then, kind of just before CDs happened. Uh, and you realise these are fantastic stories, all of them, and they're, uh, they're well worth cherishing. And, of course, their influence is felt now. You hear a lot of music that just kind of echoes all that. So, anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what are, one of the things that I'm also fascinated by is the idea of how the concept of a musical career has changed. And you talked about a white label vinyl, and that's something that the younger generation, those are words that they probably don't know at all, just the combination of those two things. But the way that it used to be is a DJ would be playing, they're spinning vinyl records, which is itself unbelievable. And a lot of the fact that a lot of those great mixes came, DJ mixes came from vinyl is incredible. When if a needle skips during a transition, you're screwed. People on CDJs and XDJs, they don't understand that sensation or a piece of fuzz gets on the needle and slows it down 2%, screws up your whole transition. But uh, somebody would hand a record that had a white stamp on it because it wasn't officially pressed. They would hand it to a DJ and play this, and with a little bit of luck, they would. And as a result, you have all of these artists floating around that have probably just vanished into obscurity. Like, who even knows all of the aliases of all of the producers out there? Because today I'm sending you a record as Charlie May, the next time I'm sending it as CM, the next time I'm sending Charlie Mayhem or C Mayhem. or Like, there's 50 different versions of people, and in that time, pre-internet, it kind of made sense, and people even liked it that way. Is this Armin van Buren, or is this uh, Tiesto, or is this the Kamaya painters, or whatever else these, you know, is this Spooky or Uncle, or whoever else? Uh, nowadays, it's much more consolidated. Somebody's digital track record is out there. Every single song they ever did is credited appropriately, and it can all easily be tied back to the person. So how do you feel it's been for you, again, like having no essentially central catalog of all of the work that you've done? That's a really interesting point you just made there about um, everybody puts their, their mark and their name on everything they do to a certain extent. Um, I think there's still an element of that exclusivity because that, that's what it was about um, with the DJ thing, uh, with vinyl. It was You could have an exclusive mix or a track that no one else had, which made it very exciting. So I remember going to see certain DJs before the whole DJ personality blew up. And I went to see that DJ because I knew he had that a certain record, not because of who he was. Um, I think there's still an element of that in the drum and bass scene. Like some of the True. 
um, I do a bit of teaching now and then, and, and a couple of the guys I teach, because uh, I live near Bristol in England, which is synonymous with drum and bass, and they I want to spend a week bass. making a snare <laughs> They want to spend a week making a snare drum. But they, from what I gather, there's, there's a lot of that um, exclusivity back in, in that the idea that a certain DJ will have a, only he will have a version of something, which also harks back to the, the dub thing. And the whole sound system, the Jamaican thing in the 60s and 70s, um, which I love because it creates not just an anonymity, but it focuses back the attention back onto the music again, takes it away from mm. the, the personality because it's the two, those two things aren't uh, necessarily combat, compatible either. Like I've met people that, whose records I love, and they turn out to be an asshole or not. They just turn out to be just like not who you thought they were. Like never meet your heroes, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that that's a problem. It's just I think today everybody's um, it's just different. It's not better or worse. It's just different and. Everyone's having a crack at it. There's just more of everything, more accessibility, more information, more data, more music. Um, does it doesn't mean that the music's improved? It's still good, but there's a lot of more mediocrity, I guess, and a lot more channels for it to be exposed along. Um, but it's not as fun. I mean, that's the whole point of doing this is is to have a good time. Uh, especially when you work with other people. Uh, or, yeah. yeah, don't take it too seriously. I don't take this seriously at all. I mean, I take the creative process seriously um, in, this, in as much as I pay attention to what I'm doing. I try to be really present and do, do a good job. But I don't take the business seriously. Perhaps I should because it's kind of funny and it's stupid at the same time. And, sure and it is. changes so it's so fickle and you sure think back is. to things you were doing 20 or 30 years ago you know, I'm really glad I didn't do that or I really wish I hadn't done that um, but so it's, it's a very different uh, ex- much more exposed um, arena now everybody's aspect of everybody's life is more available and accessible and some people like that they they make it part of their creative process so so they're happy to like post like crazy all over anti-social media and uh, right i don't necessarily want to do that i haven't got the energy of the time. i don't know where people get their time i really don't like if, if you're like up there posting job, it grind uh, right yeah. and you're you see them list although they're talking about they're on youtube it's about as far as i get and They'll, they'll mention a list of all the other platforms they're posting on. Well, do you sleep? I mean, it's a, that's crazy. I just don't function. I mean, yeah, I'm older uh, from the older generation. Well, one might argue that they're not spending as much time making art. I think there's a point to be made that you're either spending your time on social media or you're making life-changing art. And, uh, you know, that's a conversation that should be had. We can't just assume that they're doing more. Yeah. They're probably right. doing you the can same, do just in a different direction. Yeah. For sure. Well, can Maybe you, you can both? do both. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can. I, tried, I have tried it, and I couldn't do it's it. Not, I don't know. Um, but, you in know, fact, I found one really back. dull <laughs> and one really exciting. Oh, yeah. so. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the way that things used to feel, we talked about, you know, again, the, this mystery. I remember, again, no radio in my neighborhood until many years later played any electronic music ever for any reason, except one channel. I think it was KTCL in Denver. From one half hour, they had a show, a program called E11. And from 11 to 11.30, when I was supposed to be in bed, I could listen on headphones to the radio. It was the first time I heard the world reflecting back some of these sounds to me. And you had this feeling of like, oh, some there's magic happening in some clubs and these CDs, these global underground CDs. What's happening out there? Why? Where is this thing? And it's not here in my town. Where does this thing exist and how can I find it? And the first time that I was able to sneak into a party stealing my buddy's driver's license, uh, I was just instantly blown away and it was very very different and now i'm gonna sound old it was very different than what a party is today the types of people that were there the vibe of the people it wasn't popular wasn't mainstream so a lot fewer mainstream people there weren't you know bros with sunglasses uh, partying in a vegas a day club it was just a bunch of weird people who clearly felt something the djs were different they clearly weren't seeking international fame it was all about the music and one of the hardest things that has changed for me personally is when I used to go to those environments, like you said, the DJ who has a special vinyl record, it was always about, I want to be surprised. If I listen to something you make or a DJ spins, I want to hear things that I have never heard before. And then when I became a DJ later, I recognized that as the industry changed, everybody just wanted to hear songs that they knew. They want to make sure that every breakdown has a vocal that they know and can sing along to, that every melody is a remix of a melody that they've heard before. And when I would play clubs in Amsterdam, I had to make sure that every other song was something that everybody knew or I would lose attention. And then you're playing all those commercial records. But for me, it was always, I don't want to hear anything that I knew before I went to see this DJ. I want every sound that hits my ear to be new and to appreciate that journey. And that's why to this day, all of my time listening on Spotify, I, I only listen to new artists and crazy stuff. I listen to records that have a hundred plays or 2000 plays on Spotify. And I'm just like, what's new? What's new? What's new? Because I'm constantly chasing that feeling that the kind of music that you make gives me. It's like, who else can do this out there? Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. I just burn through hundreds and hundreds of artists in search of that journey that I know is out there. So it's like a high that I'm perpetually chasing. That's, yeah, and what you described there is the state of play, really. You know it's out there, but you're doing a lot of sifting. And that's possibly what's happened post-explosion of accessibility. It's like people say, the great thing about it is that everybody can have a go and make music. And the worst thing about it is that everybody can have a go and make music. Because true. Very true. It is a good thing. Like um, It is. But you have, again, you have to put in so, so much, uh, you become like Conan the librarian. That's what, I, that's what I become. <laughs> I'm just like sifting through, trying to find stuff. What I try and do is is just have sort of open streams of, music coming towards me that I might, if I'm lucky, intercept something at some point. I think there's a serendipity about it as well that you kind of get what you're, what you're looking for in the end. It'll come to you. You have to have a lot of faith because if you, if you sit down and think about it, like the maths of it, like how many people are releasing music, how many tracks are out every week, it'll just, you'll just give up because the numbers will overwhelm you. 
um, you can't think like that. I used that used to be um, really off-putting. Actually, I used to because you could actually hold that amount of information in your head years ago. You knew how many records were coming out every week. There were like a handful of great tunes every week from the labels you loved. Now there's probably more new labels every week than there are there were tunes back then. But now it's just a deluge. So stuff comes, and you because you hang out with people, and I work with people who are also on the lookout. There's a bit of a network, a local network forms of like-minded people um, that can pass stuff on to each other. Have you heard this? Have you heard that? And that's something I try and encourage or and I wish there was more of amongst producers because there's, there's one thing that's really bad, well, one of the things that kind of stunts the growth of this type of art is um, it's just like dudes talking about gear, like yeah. equipment. Right. I want to talk about records and and there's a whole vocabulary kind of missing that we don't have which talks explains uh, the sort of hybrid between the technology and the emotional effect that technology can have. I've got a few really close guys, friends that I've worked with for years and years, and we have that sort of um, kind of repartee with each other where we, we do that. We, we talk about, oh, that was, do you remember doing this? Or I just did, this today and it had this effect and it was like oh man it just felt amazing or you actually start to talk about how it felt rather than what it looked like or what it's not what it sounded like in purely technical terms but there's a huge distraction in that because the way that our markets work and, and our economy works and all that and whatever you want to call it is it's got to constantly sell you more shit yeah um and you have to consume all that shit. Otherwise, the whole thing collapses. So so a lot of people just talk about the shit that's been sold to them all the time. And yeah, my shit this week, yeah. You know, yeah, mine's better than yours. You want to try this? It sounds amazing. And, and we exaggerate the, the, the improvements and the differences to each other because we want to be the one that found, oh, yeah, but this one's even better. It's... I'm really, really aware of that, and and I kind of have a cutoff point where with it where I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to know that there's like 50 new analog synthesizers out this month because I'm not going to use them, and I don't want to use them because they'll just distract me from what I'm doing. But what we could talk about is, and what we do talk about, and this certainly happens in retrospect, like the, what you've been just been uh, describing about sneaking out and going to a club and. It's all feeling. It's all it's all emotion and feeling. The fact that it was excitement. It's a full human experience um, that involves an artistic endeavor. But it's also kind of a bit rebellious, and it's it's a little bit punk rock, and it's a little bit like, well, this is what I'm going to do that my the previous generation didn't do. This is what my parents don't want me to do. Um, or whatever, whatever the school or whatever establishment that you kind of grow out of. Um, so there's a lot of trouble, I think, in the language that we use. And this is also compounded now with 
the, the way we message each other and text and social media that it's developed its whole a whole sort of language to go with it that's that on, on the one hand makes things easier and quicker more efficient but on the other hand it stunts certain areas of your expression um in particular emotional expression and um i'm really interested in in that but coupled with the technology the way that I want to be in charge of my gear and my technology. I don't want it to tell me what to do or how to, certainly not how to live and certainly not how to think. Or I don't want it to do, my, do the thinking for me. I want, it, I want it to improve my thinking. I want to be able to evolve as a, as a creator of music um, and as a human being. And the reason I, I do this is because, like I said earlier, it has a therapeutic value and... Um, it literally keeps me sane and fulfilled. Creative fulfillment is is a spiritual requirement. Like, and it's as important as air and water. You, you're not. Everybody has and seeks creative fulfillment, whether they're aware of it or not. Even if it's just making a sandwich, you know, or the way you park your car, or I don't know, just tiny little details. The way you, there's you'll do it your way, and like a fingerprint, it's it's kind of unique to you. And no one should ever tell you to do it any other way, or you shouldn't listen to anyone saying, that's wrong, do it this way. And that's what's kind of what education can do if you're not careful. It will kind of get, get all the rats running down the same tube, you know? But mm. um, so I'm really wor- conscious of that in, when I'm working. When I'm working, I, I want it to be a, a liberation from all that. I want it to... I have to slap myself, wake myself up from what what I could be expecting myself to do, and and I think you get to a point like like, like I was saying earlier, it's really a luxury now that I don't care what anyone else thinks. Yeah. I think you you care less as you get older, and that fear of what other people think is 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 really um, restrictive. It's amazing what millions of people will do out of fear of what other people will think. And it's really important to be aware of that. And and being doing music, whether you're just DJing, it doesn't matter, or whatever art form you're, you're interested in, it can be completely liberating from that. And you don't have to plaster it all over social media. You can like just put up what you really think. Actually, yeah, I want to share this with the world because it's I'm proud of it. Um, I I was diligent in the way I put it together. Yeah, it might not be perfect, but I, I think it's good. I'm proud of it. And I I think it's worth interrupting someone's day for. I mean, that's quite an arrogant thing to say, but that's kind of what you're doing. Because everyone's just like, what's next, 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 next? Are you going to pop up there and just, just be the next thing? Or are you going to stop someone scrolling? You're going to be the thing. You're going to be able to produce the thing that that makes them reflect on you know, where. Just check in with themselves. Where am I? This is good. I like this. You know, this is telling me something about myself. This is revealing part of my story that I didn't. I wasn't necessarily aware of before. Um, it's really interesting all this stuff, and it's happening so fast. So I haven't really talked about it. So it's a bit of a ramble, but. Um, I mean, yeah. that's, that's great. 
Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. What, it is fascinating. One of the things that was always very disappointing to me when I became a more serious DJ and I got into that world is I would see people like, I'm a deep house DJ. And they would just absolutely hate every other genre of music on the planet. They say, oh, drum and bass sucks because I'm a deep house <laughs> DJ. And I always thought, how can you be that way? I mean, one of the things that I was able to do when I was teaching was I could play a drum and bass set like any drum and bass DJ. I could play a house set like any house DJ. I could play any genre of music because there's a certain type of personality that you can appreciate things for what they are and for what they're trying to be. When I'm driving in my car, I listen to the jazz station. I listen to a lot of classical. Beethoven is like the first version of electronic music. These DNA-type melodies spiraling out of the speaker. What's going on with Beethoven? I don't know, but people who feel like this is one genre and this is one thing and it has to be one tempo, I have never understood that. Sometimes I'll play music and I'll say, hey, check this out to a friend of mine. They'll say, oh, this is some kind of rainforest, ambient, organic uh, music. And last week you were playing <laughs> Sasha music. <laughs> they're not connected at all. And I'm like, how can you not hear that they're the same? They're both taking you on a journey for an hour. And I think that's sort of the thing that I've always loved is going on a journey, not for three minutes, not for two minutes, but for 70 minutes, for two hours. What can you get to if you have an unbroken period of a couple hours of cultivating that feeling? And that's why I liked your isolated mix so much and other things. Like, where do you go in the ambient space for two hours? I know what an ambient playlist is. There's tons of them on Spotify, but what is a curated ambient experience like? What's a curated breaks experience like? What's a curated house experience? It's all beautiful if done well, and it all reflects the same essence in my opinion. So it's very comforting to me to know that you have had those inspirations and diverse musical interests yourself, because obviously your output reflects very different tastes in genre, yeah. at least. Yeah, I'm, I, I got ants in my pants. I can't stay with the same thing. <laughs> um, there's so much great music out there. And I, I, don't, I don't identify with really even being a producer, I don't have an identity that that I have to uphold. It's just another advantage of not really seeking the limelight, I guess. Um, so I can just wander about freely and pick and choose and put myself in a position where I get exposed to stuff that I'm going to like, or, or, I, or I up the, the possibility of that happening is increased. Yeah, absolutely. I could never understand. Uh, probably why I, I like I'm a I can DJ. I'm okay, but I I couldn't get known for for being a certain kind of DJ. And it takes a real eclectic mindset to be able to be known as a great DJ and producer without being associated with any particular kind of music. Yeah, there are very few very few of those. Like Andrew Weatherall. Um, but even those that are associated with a particular kind of music, you, they don't they don't defend it like it's um, um, like some holy grail or something. They're just they're just mining their seam, and they've got a they've got a good thing going um, that they do well, and they're exploring a, a, a theme. But they don't have to uh, defend it by criticizing other styles of music. There's nothing 
something wrong with whatever music you do. Or it's, the, it's, the, you're, it's the privilege of being able to create anything you want, which, which is worth fighting for mm. and defending. Um, so it's really interesting when I, when I do a bit of teaching and I guess you, you, um, I learn more than I teach. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that because someone will come in and they got a laptop or a phone and they're on some platform I've never heard of. And they're just so fast in just assimilating information and check this out, check this out. And have you seen this? Have you seen that? And they'll just expose me to a whole different way of doing this that I find really interesting. It doesn't, I don't have to like the music to like the process that it's been made, how it's been made, or the enthusiasm with which it's been made. These are all really healthy things. And you can, you, you don't need to um, please anyone else if that's your thing. Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. It's hard to think of an example of something that, that you don't like. <laughs> um, because Just name I don't wanna, somebody specifically with their birthday. Um, yeah, I don't want to do that. But there's there's a place for it. There's a place for 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 everything that we we possibly don't. You know, we won't go out and buy. We don't want to hear it. And sometimes it's annoying. Or you listen to that and you're like, man, I could never mix a record like that. There's just it's just on or off. You know, it's there's no subtlety or dynamics. But there's a place for it. And people graduate through those kind of records like um, as they get older. And if they're into music, then their taste will mature. So it, it fulfills a function. Um, yeah, I think the, the most important thing, and certainly when I, when I teach, is, is just to keep, keep it light, like the experience of doing it light. It's so easy to kill the thing you love. Um, that happened to me when I first started making records and suddenly they, they were being released and, and put out and I piled so much pressure on myself to uh, attain some lofty height. You know, I projected an idea of myself onto my job and, and there's no way you can live up to that and, and you kind of burn out a bit and you suddenly you've, you've taken the, you just sucked all the fun out of it. So that's the most important thing. You've got to have fun. And it's got, mm. it's got to be based around, um, yeah, f uh, yeah, that sense of fun and freedom. And out of that, you get good creativity. Um, like if someone actually sat in on one of the sessions that, 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 that it, was, it would blow your bubble, I'm sorry, but you'd realise what a bunch of idiots we are. And it's just like, how did these cretins make this, make these mute, make these records? <laughs> it gets inane. Like you'll have one joke that will go on for like weeks, the same, you know what it's like when you get a bunch of people together and doing something and, they, and they've got a constricted environment doing one thing and it drives you a little bit nuts and the way to handle it is is through stupidity and, and there's a love in that. You have a respect for each other and a love for each other. But it comes out in, in the most stupid um, sort of forms of humour and you try to catch each other out all the time I love all that it's it's, um, it's very dull for anybody else <laughs> um, 
but yeah, the the the, uh, the innocent A and R man who vin- visits the studio like two months into a really Let's be heavy honest, session. There's no such thing as an innocent A and R man. <laughs> I don't think they exist. Well, he's no, that's true. But there's some good ones out there, very good. But that's yeah, true. he would there's turn up and you'd they're just even be... rarer than a a good DJ. <laughs> they're rarer than a DJ that understands gain structure. I've yet uh, to find exactly. One. One thing that I like all of the kids today and people, you know, not that I know anything, but the people who've asked me, because I've taught a bunch of people how to DJ, everybody feels like they have to learn how to promote themselves. What can I do to be the next Skrillex, to be the next person? We're taught you have to do the social media game. You have to do this content. Otherwise, you have no chance of standing out. Do you think that you're able to articulate the counterpoint to that, that, hey, you don't need to do any of that? You just need to focus on making great music or great art and whatever it is and don't worry about that publicity part of it because so many people are only focused on that part of it i can tell you that for sure yeah that's it's very difficult to come up with a hard and fast rule how you should handle the the state of the the media which is the delivery system for what we do you you have to be adaptable, um, but I think you you have to put it in a context. You have to see it in context of what you're trying to do. Is is the social media promotion that aspect? Is that your art? You know, is that your um, canvas? Because for some people it is, and they are fantastic at it. And like you'll watch, there's a couple of people I subscribe to that I watch for them, not necessarily the content. Um, but are you, it's a, but are you deluding yourself about that? It's, I guess you've got to be really honest. Um, being honest with yourself is one of the, the real gifts of doing this because you can't bullshit your way into a good mix or a good record. Um, you have to be really, really honest. And yeah, if you don't need to, um, if you're a fantastic DJ or you're a great producer making great records and you don't want to have to deal with the hassle of, see, like, for me it's a hassle, you know, you don't want to have, have the hassle of promoting yourself, yourself, doing it all yourself, then you need to delegate. And, and just like you would have, a, a, I don't know, a bass player in a band, you have someone who handles that sort of stuff and he's part of your team or you work together and you have a you get some kind of collective vibe going where it benefits both of you um i think that's the way i would do it i wouldn't try and do it all by myself because the social media gives the impression that everybody's a like a lone wolf or they they've done it all themselves they taught themselves everything that you're seeing that might not be the case and you can't i can't do that it's just too much um I really want to stay kind of grounded and focused so that maybe I'm not going to work today, but I'm, but I'll be ready to work tomorrow because I haven't like spent today running around like a blue ass fly trying to shore up my, the leaks in my social media profile. I'm not thinking about, I really don't think about that. If, if I was 19 years old and I, grew up with it and 
I'd have a different perspective completely. But time's different now, and people, and you view it differently. And I think younger people view it differently. Um, I think it's very important to consider your legacy, not in an egotistical way, but in terms of the impact it will have. Um, if someone finds your shit 20 years from now, <laughs> is, it, is it worth finding? Um, so your record could be worth finding, but no one's going to find your old social, you know, whatever you posted on Facebook. Or, I mean, that's it's like a newspaper. It's out of date the next day. So you have to keep a lot of things in perspective and really think about where where they sit um, and in terms of how what the meaning to you, to you as a creative and to other people who receive it. Because um, it is a bit of a nuthouse out there. There's just so many options and um, you have to be good at stripping away what's unnecessary, be quite ruthless. It's like making, like, yeah. It's, there's a lot of chaff to be sorted and so you just get to the wheat, as it were. But yeah. That's why, again, talking about vinyl, when you put a record on, I'm not going to flip, because before I get to the you know, end of the first chorus, ah, oh, fuck it, next one. You listen through the whole thing. You listen to all the tracks and you listen to them in a context. Um and that's just putting boundaries around something. And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to listen to this to the exclusivity of everything else. I'm not going to be distracted, partly because it sounds better and it's a more fulfilling experience. So I'm more engaged with it. So it's getting more of my attention. So I'm not as easily distracted. Um, when you've got something coming out of your phone, it sounds like a wasp in a tin. And it's good, but... It's not that engaging. It's like the headphones thing. If you put something on on headphones, like I listen to music on headphones at, in the dark. <laughs> and it, That's um, what I do every day. Yeah, fantastic. If I really want to, like if I'm losing the plot a bit, working on something and not getting the, the results I want, that's what I'll do because I'll listen to someone else paying attention even if I'm not paying attention, if you know what I mean. So I'll listen to someone else's detail, the way they've crafted something, and um, and be reminded of what I like, and that if I focus, I can get somewhere close to that, hopefully. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always, always bringing myself back on point, back. Don't want to get um, just wafted away, and it's very easy to get distracted. And sort of spiritually distracted, you get... You get um, you start to believe that what you're doing isn't that good, or you get sort of sidetracked into something else. And when you come back to what you're doing, it doesn't sound as good. Um, which is, I've had that happen before. When you you down tools and you go and work with someone else, and it's an amazing experience, and you make an incredible record, the one that you're really pleased with. You come back to your your own thing, and it's just a steaming pile of shit. It's like the food you left in the fridge. You know, it just doesn't sort of it doesn't excite you. So you, you've got to be aware of those things, I think, because um, it could be really painful otherwise and a bit of a, a lot of agony. Um, and you just you just learn how to handle that as you get a bit older and um, hopefully a bit better at what you do. I get better at managing myself, not necessarily better at making records. I just get better at managing my mistakes. 
Well, you know, one of the things that talking with you now has put into context for me or a different way of thinking about it, talking about legacy 20 years, and I do think about that all the time. You know, what is the best way that I can contribute to the future world? What are the gifts that I have that other people don't have? Some people are great DJs, some people are great personalities, other people are great producers, great keyboardists. But something that I am now realizing, because it's like, what is the connection between doing a show like this and DJing or making music? And I think that if DJing, in the way that we might see it, is crate digging and finding these hidden gems and then collecting them and putting some kind of new context, like here's record A, here's record B, put them together and we have feeling C from two different things that I'm telling you are connected, even though they themselves aren't telling you they're connected. Well, I think I'm sort of doing that. I'm like DJing human stories at this point. It's like, what is the connection between uh, a producer in the UK versus somebody who's helping people eat in East Africa? The, uh, on the paper, people say one is about entrepreneurship and one is about music. Those are two completely different sections. They have nothing to do with each other, but it's like, but do they really? It's really about who is contributing to this world in a different kind of way? Who is operating on a different wavelength? Who is exhibiting a different frequency? I seek out those types of people. That's what drew me to you. That's what draws me to your art. And I look at all those people in a sea of sameness. Who is vibrating on a different frequency? Who is doing something different than what everybody else is doing? And that's where I take interest, even if they're not the most famous the household names, the name that will instantly make you say, oh, look at that, it's Brad Pitt on another podcast. You know, that's not what I'm trying to do. So my hope is that like those underground DJs of yore, that somebody will go along for the ride and not care about, mm -hmm. it's like if you accept the ride for what it is and not care about your expectations of what's coming, there might be some magic there. So that unlocked something for me, yeah. which I had never thought of prior to our conversation, truthfully. That's very well, true. You. you hit the nail nail on the head there. It, it is magic. That's that's what it's all about. And magic is magic. It's, it's unquantifiable. Um, and you could dismiss that as very unscientific or uh, a romantic notion. But you're putting certain elements in play and hoping that they'll spark and that will create some magic. And magic is what is what we're all made of and what the, the whole world's made of, despite what <laughs> what you might be told. Um, and I, so what you're doing by so for instance, this this conversation will have a positive effect on me and what I do. Me too. It will also make me um Probably, give, uh, like, count. I think it will make me appreciate more the the sort of podcasts that I do listen to, and because uh, without without the internet, without YouTube, and people talking to other people, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I learned so much from that that format. It's ridiculous. Whether it's, I mean, I do it every day. A lot. Uh, if I got half an hour, it's when I, because I live on my own. I mean, when I eat, I'll put put on a podcast. When I, sometimes when I go to sleep, I'll put on a podcast. It's a big feature of my life because I want. I love learning stuff. I just love, not just the, having the random facts floating around my head, but I'm fascinated in just how amazing hu the human experience is. 
and how detailed it is. You wouldn't be able to get that uh, before this medium existed as easily. Um, you could read it, but it's, it wouldn't be so immediate. So it's, it is um, very important uh, and, a, and a really important educational medium uh, and a learning tool. Uh, the music I discover through this way, uh, just things like, you know, different meditations that I can do or stuff to help. You know, I'm a terrible cook, so anything that helps me improve that is good. Like, it could be anything from different kind of exercise to do or or humor, you know, a lot of laughter, really important stuff. Yeah, it is important. It's very easy to to dismiss it as transitory, but I think it has a cumulative effect, positive or negative. And um, it's very important, just making the right choice as to what you're going to digest is really important too. So, yeah, kind of overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it is. I agree. No, there's so much stuff out there. It's absolutely overwhelming. And we didn't even talk about AI yeah. or any of that stuff, which is you know, a whole it's different all, can I of always feel it like a physical weight sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I've had panic attacks. Oh, yeah, before we get into genuine. AI and all that. No, no, no. Well, well, you've been more than generous with your time, and you've been very <laughs> – I'm just deeply, deeply honored that you would sit – like, you are a legend to me. And I guess my only if, – if one thing changes – collect your music build a collection so that all of us can celebrate it and you know the, these random youtube things or things that you have squirreled away uh, i i'm sure i speak for others when i say if there's any way i mean your band camp is obviously a great uh, place for you to release your own thoughts and i appreciate everything you put on band camp and all of that but if if you have some old white labels that you made or things that never got digitized i, I humbly suggest that maybe you could collect those and share them so that people could uh could find them instead of on you know dustin 320 mk2's youtube channel and not on anywhere else but that's it but you know take it with a grain of salt you don't have to do anything you're doing great you don't have to do anything differently on, on my <laughs> just live your life that, it's, though, it's right? fine yeah um but i would appreciate it. but yeah again thanks for taking the time it's been an absolute uh, oh, pleasure, pleasure. Uh, do you yeah, have any really nice parting words you, of wisdom? Where can people, let's at least give them your band camp, or where can people find your work best as you see it? Uh, well, I guess band camp, if you just search Charlie May on band camp, um, what I'm doing there is is just releasing stuff, new stuff, a couple of old things, as and when, because it's fun to do. Um, otherwise, good luck. Just... <laughs> Just hunting around. It's yeah. I I can't curate. I can't be responsible for for my output in, once it's released. Um, and it's nice. I like forgetting things. I mean, there's, there's like whole whole tours I've forgotten, and let alone there's records I've forgotten. So I want I want to be like that. I like it. I want to make a. I want to. It's all perspective, isn't it? I want to discover it something is. I've forgotten about. Hear, hear it, and I think, oh, that's all right. And that that will then give me a little burst of energy, and I'll go and make something new. So it's all part of the process. There's there's more madness in my madness. So I like it. Thank you for uh, for uh, this opportunity to I don't know talk about a few things that have sort of been 
rattling around in my head a bit and uh, it's always good to get get a different perspective so appreciate it pleasure is all mine and like i said you have changed my life forever with your work and i am sure you'll continue to do so i will consume everything you make if and when you make it wherever you release it i will always be a fan so thanks again charlie it's been a it's been a pleasure and with that the official podcast is over I just wanted to hop in right here and say very quickly that all of the music that you heard during this show is from Charlie May himself. All of that is his original music that you can find on his Bandcamp page, and that's charliemay.bandcamp.com. Support this artist, buy all of the records, and do some digging yourself. Find some of his music out there on your favorite platforms. You may not find it all on Spotify, but there's some gems on YouTube and elsewhere if you're really interested. But above all, support this man on Bandcap. He's been very gracious to let me use his music in this show, and I'm extremely grateful. Thanks again for listening.